And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're in a series called The Power of Personal Choices. And today, I want to talk to you on the subject of choose to change, choose to change. You know, God's given you and me a wonderful gift, and it's called choice. God, turn to somebody and tell them, God's given you the ability to choose. Wednesday night, I I shared a story about a little boy who was taken into a barn, and this barn was filled with horse manure. In fact, you could hardly walk around because there was so much horse manure in there, and this little boy walked carefully around, and then he got a big smile on his face, and he began jumping up and down, and he got so excited, and somebody said, son, you're in a barn filled with horse manure. Why are you excited? He says, well, all this horse manure in here means there's got to be a pony someplace. (laughs) And no matter what circumstances you may find yourself in, the choices that you make can and will make a major difference for good in your life because our choices can work for us or our choices will work against us. And the key to remember is this, you are in charge of your choices. When you stand before a holy God one day, you will have to give an account for the choices that you have made, not the choices that somebody else has made. And today, I want us to turn our attention to an interaction that took place between a priest named Eli and a lady named Hannah. Now, I want you to remember this, that Hannah, her heart is breaking because she can't have children. And it says here in 1 Samuel 1, verse 12, it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. Now, Eli was the senior priest serving at Shiloh. And the reason Shiloh is important is because the tabernacle of God is now in Shiloh. The tabernacle of God was a big tent, and inside that tent was another tent called the Holy of Holies. And inside that tent was the ark, inside the Holy of Holies was the ark of God. Now, many years later, David, you'll remember, would move the ark of God from Shiloh down to Jerusalem, but that has not yet happened. And so here's Hannah. She's come to Shiloh. She's getting as close as she can to the earthly presence of God because God had said this about the ark. He said, remember the ark was a box made of acacia wood and it had a covering on top of it called the mercy seat and it had two cherubim, two angels on top. And he says, I will dwell between the wings of the cherubim. So here's Hannah. Her heart is breaking because she can't have children. She's crying her eyes out. She's seeking God with everything within her. And Eli, the priest looks at her and accuses her of being drunk. 
Let's look at those verses again. Verse 12, it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth and Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. It's kind of like you come to church this morning and your heart is breaking because of something that's happened. And during the worship or maybe during the response time, you make your way down here. You're crying your eyes out. You're kneeling down. And I look at you and I say, put your beer away. Put your wine away. Come on. Put your Jack Daniels away. This is a holy place. And you say, Pastor, I'm not drinking. My heart is breaking. Look at verse 15. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken until now. Dear ones, when Eli was shown the truth, Eli exhibited the ability to change. Now, let me just say this. When you study Eli's life, he was not the best leader and he was not the best father. But at least when confronted with the truth, he changed. And one of the best choices that you can ever make in life is to make up your mind. When I'm confronted with truth, when I'm confronted with that which is real, and I realize that I'm in the wrong, I'm going to humble my heart and I'm going to be willing to admit it and be willing to change. Because this whole world is filled with people who are hard-hearted and stubborn, and they won't admit they're wrong even when they're confronted with the truth of God's Word. You don't want to be one of those people. See, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were the leading pastors in the land. And Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible says, were stealing from the offerings that people brought to God. Not only were they stealing, but they were sleeping. They were committing adultery with women who served at the tent of meeting. Now, they were both married men. They had children of their own. And here they are disregarding. They had no regard for what the Word of God says. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not commit adultery but Eli and Phineas said we don't care what the word of God says we're going to do what we want to do everybody look at me there is a major major problem in America today spiritually and morally we're changing the wrong things there are things that are changing that should never change and there are things that need to change that are not changing but in today's message I want to give you a some structure I want to give you some guidelines for changing the things in your life that need to change remember this this message today is about you and about me it's not I'm not preaching it for the person that's not here I'm preaching it for you And I'm preaching it for me. And remember, when my finger is pointed at you, my thumb points back at me. So we're going to look at four reasons that we all need to change. Number one, we all need to change when we're confronted with what is right and what is true. And let's admit it, we live in a world where it's taught right over here at Florida State University and at TCC and at FAMU and at Flagler and at every other school in the, in, in the land almost. It's taught that truth 
is not absolute, that truth is relative. It depends upon what circumstances you're in as to whether or not something is truthful. Even Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Now, folks, it's true that some things are relative, right? Some things, they're not true, they're not false. I'm wearing a dark suit today and a white shirt and a blue tie, and that's relative because that's what I wanted to wear. I could have worn a blue shirt. I could have worn blue jeans and a sport coat and no tie today. It's all relative to what I want to wear. You're wearing orange and blue and and purple and yellow, and that's all relative. It's not right or wrong. It'd been wrong if you didn't wear anything. But what you're wearing is relative. It doesn't matter. But if you tell me that after church today, hey, pastor, I'm going to go rob a bank. That is not relative. That is wrong. It's wrong because the Bible says thou shalt not steal. And it's wrong because in the United States of America, if you rob a bank, that is a federal offense. It is punishable by many, 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 many years in jail and in prison. And you don't want to do that. So hear the word of the Lord. Do not go rob a bank this afternoon. When right exposes wrong, when truth exposes lies, you and I've got to make the choice, I'm going to change. And there's a biblical word for change, and it's called repentance. Everybody try that with me. Repentance. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of attitude, and a change of your behavior or your action. Folks, the primary means for helping me to know what is right and wrong, the primary means for helping you to know what is right and wrong is this Holy Bible. I've had people say, well, Pastor, you can't really believe that book. I mean, it's old. A lot, a lot of different people wrote parts of it. Let me tell you what Peter says. Peter says that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, but holy men of old wrote as literally the Holy Spirit breathed upon them. I'm going to tell you, God's word is the ruler. It's the, it's the measuring tape by which I measure what's going on in my mind, my will, my emotions, my body, my soul, and my spirit. And dear ones, if you will receive the word of God, it will change you from the inside out. John the Baptist came and he was preaching. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make your path straight. Dear ones, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're preparing a way for God to work in your life. When you receive the teachings of God's word, you're preparing a way for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Because while the world says there's no absolutes, I want you to know something. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. I am not a truth. I'm not just one religious teacher out there among many. I am God become flesh. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Lord, would you sanctify my disciples Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. This word is real reality. It is true truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will never pass away. 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Hallelujah. Jesus, when he preached, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is something that you and I do so that God, the Holy Spirit, will work through us by his grace and mercy. How many of you remember the Beatles rock group? Let me just see your hand. How many of you remember who John Lennon was? John Lennon, sadly, was gunned down outside the Dakota apartment building by a mentally ill man some years ago. But before he was gunned down, one of his biographers, a a fellow by the name of Jeffrey Gugliano, he writes about a time that John was watching television at home and he was watching the Christian Broadcasting Network. He was watching the 700 Club and someone on that program said, if you will call the number on your dial, you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He will forgive you of your sins and change you. And, And Gugliano says that John Lennon called the number on the screen and he prayed with somebody to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven of his sins. And Gugliano writes that John's life was really changed. He said, he began reading the Bible. He began taking his son to church. But John's change made Yoko Ono, his wife, very, very angry because she was into astrology. She was into psychics and tarot card readers. And she eventually pulled John away from his faith. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 3, verse 19 and following. He, he, Jesus said, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that what they're doing, what God wants. Folks, when you and I are confronted with right And what is true, it's important that we make up our mind, hey, I'm going to go after God's truth. I don't care what anybody else is saying. I don't care how many other people are pulling at me. I'm going to go after God's truth. Number two, we need to change when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. See, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you were filled with the Holy Spirit because you can't be born again apart from the Holy Spirit. But we also believe and teach that there's another experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And with this baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 7 that literally rivers of living water will flow forth from your innermost being. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, let's read this aloud and loudly together. It's going to come up on the screens. There it is. Here we go. Come on, aloud and loudly. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to change. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to repent of our sins. Let me share with you real quickly eight ways that the Holy Spirit will help you. Number one, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will cause your spirit to come alive on the inside of you. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Literally, he will quicken. What that means is that when we come into the house of the Lord, folks, when we worship, we start with worship because worship is really prayer. 
It's not something we do. You don't, don't say, well, I'll get there by the third or fourth song and at least I'll get there in time for the, for the sermon. Folks, you miss an important time to interact and to connect with God because it's prayer. And something happens when you begin to not think about yourself, when you begin not to focus on what you've got to do, but you start focusing on Jesus and you start giving him glory and you start giving him praise. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will start ministering to you. The Holy Spirit will start helping you. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Number two, the Holy Spirit will bear witness on the inside of you that you are indeed a child of God. I've had people over the years come and, and say, Terrell, I'm just not sure that I'm really a Christian. And I, I'll take them to Romans chapter 8, verse 16, which says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our heart that we are the sons of God, or we could say the, the daughters of God in this context, that we are the children of God. You know, I had the hardest time as a kid trying to live for Jesus because I really had not trusted his shed blood as the full payment for my sins. I had not welcomed the Holy Spirit into my life. I was just trying to do good because I thought that's what it was all about. But when I really came to faith in Jesus Christ and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was like the Holy Spirit came and started living the life of Jesus through me. Hallelujah. Number three, the Holy Spirit is your down payment on all eternity. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Anybody in here ever bought some real estate? Ever, ever been part of a real estate transaction? Well, when you make the offer on the property, you also write a check and it's called your earnest money. It's a down payment. You're sending a large amount of money along with your offer to buy the property. And what you're saying to that person is, hey, I am serious about buying this property, and this shows my good faith. It's my earnest money. And dear ones, the Holy Spirit is our earnest money from heaven. The reason I know there's a heaven is because I know there's a Holy Spirit. The reason I know that that there's an eternity is because we've got the Holy Spirit now. Hallelujah. And Paul said, though our outer man perish, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, number four, will convict you of sin. Jesus said in John, John's gospel, chapter 16, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come of sin because you've not believed on me. Number five, the Holy Spirit will also guide you into all truth. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He'll tell you what is yet to come. Number six, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you power to live for God. Hallelujah. (laughs) But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Number seven, the Holy Spirit will impart to you and me gifts of grace. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, to one is given a word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, to another the gift of faith, to another the working of miracles, to another the gifts of healings, to another discernment of spirits, not discernment of human personalities, discernment of spirits, to another 
prophecy to another tongues and interpretation of tongues. He wrote to the Romans in chapter 12. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage. If your gift is giving, then give it cheerfully and generously. If your gift is leadership, then do it diligently. He says, if your gift is showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. Let me share with you one more way. This is not a conclusive or an exhaustive list, but it's just one more way that the Holy Spirit helps us when we read God's Word. When you hear the Word of God being preached like we are this morning, when you hear the Word of God being taught, it's so important that you open your heart to the Word of God because the Word of God will begin to change you from the inside out and the Holy Spirit will firmly and lovingly take God's Word and will apply it to your heart so that you're not saying, gee, so-and-so really needs to read this and change. You can say, no, it's not so-and-so. It's me. I'm reading this and the Holy Spirit will show you and he shows me where I need to change. Remember, when my finger is pointed at you, my thumb is pointed back at myself. Hallelujah. See, it's the inner voice of the Holy Spirit who will point things out in your heart that God wants to change. And for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you gotta give Him something to work with. You gotta give Him your will. You've gotta say, Jesus, I give my heart to you. Come, you can teach me. You can change me. You can work powerfully in me. I don't wanna be religious. I don't wanna be bound to my past. But Lord, I ask you to come and I, ask, I want my mind renewed renewed and transformed. Lord, you can change me from the inside out, but you got to give him something to work with. The psalmist cried out in Psalms 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you willing to say that? Say, Lord God, if there be any wicked way in me, would you help me to change? Lord God, if there's anything in me that you don't like, would you please come and bring it to my attention? The devil will always bring remorse and condemnation. The Holy Spirit will always bring conviction. Conviction is good. You don't want to be living apart from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Folks, remorse is not good. Condemnation is not good. Remorse and condemnation makes you feel bad about who you are. Conviction is loving and it's gentle. Let me remind you, there were two people who denied Christ when he was crucified. One was Judas, and the Bible says Judas was filled with remorse, and he went out and hanged himself. That's where remorse will take you. Man, if you're just feeling bad about yourself, if you're just staring at your belly and getting down, if you're depressed today, if you're filled with remorse, I say in the name of Jesus, 
repent, get rid of that stuff, tell it to be gone, find a faithful friend that you can talk to, but overcome that because that is a destructive, destructive emotion. But you and I need to say, no, I'm not going to have remorse and I'm not going to be filled with condemnation, but I do welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want you to convict me when I'm doing what's not right. And I want you to work in my life from the inside out. Somebody say hallelujah. The Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The Bible says that Esau could not find a place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Everybody look at me. When I was a kid... I remember thinking that when somebody really repented of their sins, there would always be lots and lots of tears and lots and lots of emotions. Therefore, when I prayed and I didn't feel any emotions, I used to wonder, am I really saved? Is God even around me? See, that was wrong thinking. I remember as a pastor, one day giving an altar call, and this big old fellow, about six foot five, 300 pounds, came to the altar area and, and I thought he was giving his heart to Jesus. He was just crying up a barrel of tears and he would shake and when he shook, every part of him shook with it. And I thought, man, God is really getting hold of his life. And after the service was over, I asked him, I said, what's God doing in your life? He said, well, last night my girlfriend broke up with me and I've just been real sorrowful. He wasn't repenting of any sins. He was just having a cathartic experience. Well, thank God that we've got emotions. God's the one that gave us emotions. Thank God that we can, we can express our emotions and we can process our emotions. Glory to God. But don't ever confuse repentance with tears. Esau cried over the loss of his birthright, but he never repented for despising. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. He never repented for despising his birthright. Number three, choose to change when you're hindering or resisting godly progress. God is all about one thing. You say, what's God about? God is about advancing his kingdom on earth. And the primary way that he advances his kingdom on earth is through the local church. Remember how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now now think about this next sentence. Hallowed be thy name. He said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Try it with me. Here we go. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The most important thing to Jesus was the advancement of his kingdom and the local church is the primary means for advancing the kingdom of God on earth. Now that's all wonderful. There's only one problem. There is no perfect local church. We're all trophies of grace. God's never had anybody perfect working for him since Jesus died and and ascended and went back, went, went back to heaven. We're all trophies of grace. And it's easy to get an attitude 
because you don't like something that happens in the local church. My father-in-law has been with the Lord this, this summer, June, July 22nd, he'll have been with the Lord for 10 years. And Kathy's dad, in fact, Kathy is, is visiting her mom this morning in North Carolina. Her dad loved Jesus with all his heart, and he loved his local church, and he loved his pastors. When he and Kathy's mom moved to Moorhead City, North Carolina, many, many years ago, they started attending a small Pentecostal church, and it was, it was one of those churches with four walls and 40 people. It was a wooden church. It was not very nice to look at. It's not a place you'd want to take your friends. In fact, when Kathy and I got married, we got married in the Methodist church in, in Moorhead City because it was a nicer building. And, and the pastor was nice enough to, to, to marry us and dad helped participate in that wedding. And, uh, but anyway, they were attending this, this little Pentecostal holiness church and her dad, is a, was a, was a real estate developer and he was developing a large tract of land just three miles from the country club in Moorhead City. It was, it was country club drive. And he went to the pastors and the board and he says, guys, I will help you. I've got 15 acres I've set aside over here. We'll make this work for you to build a brand new church. In fact, I will build it for you. He built a brand new big brick building that sat 350 people. It was great. God blessed that church. It grew. Before long, they were in multiple services. And so they built a multi-purpose building. And it was so nice because the way they had laid it out, it was just at the other end of a hallway from the other, other sanctuary. And, and so it was, it was all contiguous there and it would seat about 650 people. And they got in the place where they were having multiple services in that. And so they finally decided they're going to build a new sanctuary. And this time the sanctuary was going to seat 1200 people with a large balcony. And my father-in-law got a little concerned because he got concerned. He was no longer on the board anymore, but he got concerned about the church being able to pay for that and make the mortgage payments. He got a little concerned about it. And so he went to the pastors and he talked to them and they assured him this is all going to work out. And when they, when they told the congregation what they were going to do, they announced that they were going to put in a catwalk up, up, if you just look up here. Just imagine we've got a catwalk up here for somebody to change lights out and that kind of thing. And, and, and the ceiling actually is higher than this. Again, it was, the sanctuary is, is, is probably twice, a little over twice the size of this room. They're also putting in a curtain from the ceiling all the way to the floor, a theatrical curtain. And the worship pastor was especially excited about it because they were doing a lot of dramas and that kind of thing. And they said every Sunday morning we'll have the curtain drawn and people will hear the instruments playing and the curtain will open and we'll have church and it'll be so wonderful. And so the senior pastor got behind him. The only problem is it's going to cost several hundred thousand dollars to put in the catwalk and to have this theatrical curtain in there. And so my father-in-law went to them privately and said, hey guys, I love you, I love this church, but why don't we hold off on that and let's make sure that we can handle the payments on everything else. And they said, no, 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 we're going to do this now. And it hurt his heart and he came, he and Kathy's mom called us and said, can we want to come to Chicago and talk to you and pray with you about some things and bless his heart. He humbled his heart 
And he said, you know, I love my local church and I love our pastors and I love what God is doing in our church because many, many people are coming to the Lord. Lots and lots of lives are being changed. There's fruit that remains. It's a good local church, but what we're doing is hurting my heart and I don't want to have a bad attitude and I don't want to be a hinderer or a resistor, but this has hurt my heart so I don't know what to do. And I remember Kathy and I went with her mom and dad into one of our bedrooms and we had a prayer meeting. I mean, it wasn't one of those little five minute prayers. I mean, we all knelt down in different places in the room and we prayed in the spirit and we prayed with the understanding and we gave that thing to God and we prayed until some of the pain and the poison began to leave Mr. Calvin's heart and he was able to go home. He said, you know what? He says, I want to be on the right side. I want to be on the winning side. I don't want my heart to get to get hurt. I don't want my heart to grow bitter. I want to be on the winning side. And I think we're making a mistake. But he says, you know what? I still want to be on the on the winning side because God's all about advancing the kingdom. And everybody look at me. When churches have dissension, when churches have problems, it's not usually about the preaching of the gospel. It's because somebody wanted to see something done this way and somebody else wanted to see something done that way. Sometimes that's relative. The Bible's not going to tell you the right way to do that. And so what you've got to do is go forward as a pastor with our board and with our other pastors. We have to go forward and do that which seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us according to the Scripture and seeking God's face. That curtain was used for one year. It's beautiful. But I'm glad we don't have a curtain in here. I'm glad that's not something that we have to deal with. Everybody look at me. If you have ever been hurt, I know that some of you have been in a number of different congregations. If you've ever been hurt in church, if the pastor has ever hurt you or a pastor or a deacon or a leader or a small group leader or maybe you sang in the choir and you got hurt, look at me. Please, please, I beg you, forgive. Let me stand as representative of every pastor you've ever had. If I've ever hurt you, I haven't done it intentionally. Please, please, forgive. You deserve to be set free of carrying the tyranny of your heart, of the mistake of somebody who meant well, but maybe they got it wrong. You deserve to be set free of carrying in your heart the pain and the hurt. You know, by the time we planted our church in Chicago, you had Jimmy Swaggart being found out to be an immorality and Jimmy Baker did the same thing and you know what I had a I had a I was plant, trying to plant a brand new church and when you plant a new church you don't start off with good church members you get people that were kind of like David's mighty men everybody that's in debt everybody that's this depressed everybody is in a bad shape and man I had some mad angry people because they had given to those ministries and they felt ripped off and as a pastor, it became, it became my challenge and privilege to help remove the pain 
and the poison. Folks, there, there are times pain and poison is going to get into your heart. It's going to get into your life. Don't let it stay. Don't let it to remain. Amen? See, you don't want to be a hinderer or a resistor to the kingdom of God. You want to say, hey, I want to be on the right side. Number four, Norm, come on, and Andrea, come on, I'll close with this. Choose to change when by nature you are a naysaying, stubborn, and cantankerous type person. Now turn to somebody and say, he may be talking about you now. A naysaying person is somebody who's always negative. They have a negative attitude. When you say we're going to do this, they'll give you a thousand reasons. It will not work. A stubborn person is somebody who's just difficult to deal with. They do not want to change. They're wise in their own opinion, and they are convinced this is the only way. A cantankerous person, what is that? It's somebody that's contentious, somebody that's difficult, somebody that always has a contrary disposition, an obstructive person. I got one word. If you find yourself cantankerous, if you find yourself stubborn, repent. I said repent. Change. And here's the deal. You can't change yourself. This is not a New Year's resolution. This is not something, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to start being better in this area. You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't repent. You can't change your mind and heart apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But thank God, His grace is sufficient. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know everything is happening in your life. But I know this. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. But you've got to embrace His grace. You've got to cry out, God, I need your grace in my life. I want everybody to stand. I'm going to ask everybody in this house. If you've got an appointment, I understand that, that you might need to leave. But if you don't have an appointment, I'm going to ask you just to take a minute and come down and join us around this altar. And we're just going to spend some time praying together. We're going to spend some time saying, Jesus, I want to be pliable. I want to change when the Holy Spirit is telling me to change. Jesus, I want you to be my king and my Lord and my master and my savior. Lord Jesus, I don't want things going on in my heart or my life that are not like you. Come on, just everybody in the house. Come on, just come in as close as you can so people can come in behind you. Let's make lots of room here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Just before we start singing, some of you are suffering in your body. I just speak healing in the mighty name of of Jesus Christ from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. If you're suffering in your body in any way, 
just put your hand on that place where you're suffering. If, you're, if it's your shoulder, put your hand on your shoulder. If it's your heart, put your hand over your heart. If it's your stomach, put your hand over your stomach. God, we speak healing in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We speak wholeness today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We rebuke every spirit of infirmity. We rebuke every demonic entity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.